This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. Role model, loyal, competitive, motivating, leader, star, athlete. Those are just some of the ways people have described my guest today, and yet, she believes she was statistically doomed to fail. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today for Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and I am honored to introduce you to a woman who is a retired professional basketball player and coach in the WNBA and is the first African-American woman to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Crystal Robinson, welcome to my show. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Congratulations on publishing your memoir, Finding Myself. I read it, and it is a powerful, powerful book. You share the harrowing experiences of growing up in rural Oklahoma and navigating the issues of poverty, racism, and even your own identity. And you write in the book, Hardship Was Your Reality, and Basketball Was Your Salvation. How did basketball save you, Crystal? I think it just basically gave me a place to expend all my negative energy. Like when I was hurt or mad or sad, I just got out there and played as hard as I could, I guess you could say. And I left it there at that point. It kind of saved me in that aspect. I guess you could say it gave me a place to to be without thinking about other things. Yeah. Well, for those who may not know about your incredibly impressive career, I have to share a few highlights. You were considered by most to be the best player to ever come out of Oklahoma. And in college at Southeastern State University, you were the all-time leader in points, rebounds, assists, and steals. You got into the WNBA in 1999. You were sixth in the draft pick with New York Liberty. And you played professionally all over Europe for a number of years. And then you finally retired from playing in 2007 and went on to coach in both high school and with professional teams. And then in 2020, you retired from hoop altogether to focus on your book, and so many other projects, which we will talk about today. And yet you write in your memoir that you always felt like a fish out of water in the basketball world. Why? Uh, I I think because I'm really a nerd on the down low. Like I'm a (laughs) big reader. I'm not really an active jock like that. I mean, I guess in that circle I am, but in my spare time, the things that I'm doing are completely different. I hang around with 65-year-olds and have talks I spent minimal time going to clubs and that kind of stuff, not because I have anything against it or anything against people who do it. It just wasn't for me. Just wasn't for you. Yeah. The stories you share about your childhood are both uplifting and frightening at times. You lived in a small house with rotting floors, rats and roaches. You had two alcoholic parents. Your older brother was an alcoholic by seventh grade. And your mother's male friend sexually abused you, and you kept quiet about that to protect your sisters, and also because he told you there'd be no money for your mom. And you even picked up aluminum cans along the road, you called it trash for cash, to help pay for groceries. What comes to your mind as you remember those days? Well, now, I mean, just hindsight is something else. I don't, I definitely don't feel about it like I did as a child. I feel like, you know, those experiences actually made me stronger. Mm -hmm. They taught me how to deal with adversity. 
they taught me that problems are just a blip in the in the in reality of life. Everybody has them. It's just life really is more about how you deal with your problems. Mm-hmm. You can take two people and give them the same problem and one might come out on the other end of that without a flaw and then the other one might end up being drug addict. It's more about how you deal with the problems rather than that there are problems because you and I both know that one thing we can guarantee people is there is going to be problems. Yeah, life is full of challenges. Life is full of challenges and turmoil. And I just think that the people who have probably suffered the most at the younger ages have learned a little bit more about dealing with turmoil or dealing with when things don't go your way. You have to learn to switch gears and have a lot more thinking involved in how you acquire things and pitching a temper tantrum just isn't going to do it for you. Mm -mm. You write that you were in so much pain that there were many nights that you sat with a gun in your mouth sobbing. Crystal, what stopped you from pulling the trigger? Probably more so my faith than anything. Mm. You know, I do live in the Bible Belt and it's just beating your head that if you ain't don't live this way, you don't do this, you just go into hell. And I think that with maturity and age, and I've lived around the world. I've experienced everything from Judaism to Catholicism to Southern Baptists. I've been around Muslim people. I've experienced a lot of different kinds of religions. Mm-hmm. And I think that gives you the ability to formulate your own thought process about religion. Mm-hmm. Just I think the older I got, I just started thinking about it a lot differently. But probably religion is probably what really kept me from that. I think I also read too that you kept telling yourself, there's got to be more to life than this. There's just got to be more. You didn't know what it was, but you believed somewhere, some level that it existed. Oh yeah, definitely. There had to be more life than poverty, mm-hmm. you know, than struggle. Like I started surrounding myself with people who I wanted to be like, people I wanted to learn from. I just kind of grew from there. Not that my parents taught me a lot. Yeah. When you're talking about, you know, financial independence or investing money or, you know, those kind of things, those things I try to learn from other places and other sources. So, Well, one of the people that you surrounded yourself with growing up was your cousin and best friend, Marvin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the crazy things you guys did. Oh, my gosh. The stories of the two of you. I'm going to describe it as you guys were like hell on wheels, literally. Tell me about some of those experiences, car surfing, et cetera. I think when you're young and you're poor, and we didn't even know we were poor. Like, we were happy kids. Like, those things were just fun. Like, we had toys, but we didn't have a multitude of them. We grew up in the country where you learn how to hunt and fish when you're in the first grade. And if you got a pond, you go fishing. And we just did those kind of things. And, you know, when you're that far away from your parents and you're in the woods, there's a lot of... <laughs> Trouble to be found. (laughs) Trouble that you went looking for, I think, based on what I read. I think every day uh, the trouble that we'd get into, like we definitely sought it out. That is for Mm. sure. But we were just country kids being rambunctious, hopping on trains and hopping off in other places and catching rides back. We just did it all. Like I would never trade my childhood for anything. Well, people have to read the book because there are so many stories in there. And, and you guys are also still friends today, which I think is pretty amazing. That's a long time friendship for you guys. That's pretty cool. You played baseball before you played basketball and you played with the guys. What made you decide that basketball was a better route than baseball? Well, basically just because I hated softball. I don't <laughs> like underhand softball. Like I played baseball 
but it was cool to me when I saw the little girl that got all that publicity and uh, when she made it into the Little League World Series. Like I was doing that in the in the 80s. I loved baseball. UL Washington's my cousin. I grew up in a baseball family. Just that I, I had no future in baseball, and I didn't want to play softball. Like literally, I quit baseball when my school got softball because when softball came, I couldn't play baseball anymore. Cause that sport, I just didn't play anymore. Oh wow! I chose basketball too. Both my parents was all Americans. Just I practiced a lot, but it really was I have na- had a natural ability yeah. for it. Yeah. You also write in the book that third grade was a really pivotal year and you knew you were different from other girls and yet your mom still tried to force you to wear dresses and that really didn't work. (laughs) That was also when you kind of began that relationship with God. You talked about your faith a moment ago and also when you started playing organized basketball. And you write that you felt invincible on the court, that no one could hurt you there. Describe what that feels like. I I feel like I could control everything on the court. I could let a team get up 10 and decide, okay, I'm going to win now and come back and win. I had all the control on the court because no one out there had the skill level I had. Mm-hmm. I just felt like there wasn't anything that I couldn't achieve when I was on the court. So that skill level, when did you realize that basketball was, in fact, your ticket out of the life that you felt at times stuck in? Probably when I started getting a lot of attention in high school. hmm Probably every college in the country started recruiting me. And then, I don't know, probably until about four or five years ago, I was the only first-team parade All-American to ever come out of Oklahoma. Pretty impressive, I'll have to say. You described yourself as a perfectionist, and you had really high expectations of yourself all through college and certainly when you played professionally. Have you eased up on yourself just a little bit now that you're not playing or coaching? Uh, not much. <laughs> I think that holding yourself accountable to things is, is definitely a huge part of growth because holding yourself accountable keeps you from making the same mistakes over and over again. I have a lot better perspective on it. I don't let it consume me, but I definitely hold myself accountable to things that, that, that I definitely need to hold myself accountable for. And I also think holding yourself accountable is powerful. Like Mm -hmm. it takes control away from other people. I don't, things don't happen to me. I allow things to happen to me when I make choices and decisions to do things or if I enter into an agreement with a person, I pretty much know, or I have an idea of how this could go. Mm -hmm. If it goes bad, I made this conscious decision. I knew it could go bad. So I own that mistake. I don't say, oh, they done me wrong. I'm on that mistake because People keep doing you wrong all the time. What does that say? You're not very smart. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you're not doing something, right? Exactly. Yeah, you're not doing something. <laughs> you're not right, doing something, so just, yeah. Yeah. You describe that our lives are like a training camp. They can either make us or they can break us. And that there is a direct correlation between basketball and life. What does that mean to you? In basketball games, there's all kind of obstacles. Like one team is trying a defensive strategy against the offensive strategy, and you're constantly trying to beat each other. You know, I think life poses these things at you like that. You're constantly trying to overcome things to continue for your life to go in certain directions. So I think they correlate in in that terms. And in basketball games, things don't always go your way. When you're right. on a seven-point slide, if you just give up, you automatically lose. Yeah. You know, and life is the same way. When life deals you bad hands, you just have to keep going. It teaches you how to, to work well with others. Mm-hmm. 
in basketball, everyone brings a certain skill set that makes that team complete, that makes that team whole and makes that team go. It ain't just a superstar and it ain't the best defender. It's us as a unit. I think when you go into outside the basketball world, you go into offices or factories and you work, there's still an order that works like that. Everybody has to work together for one reason, whether you're all lawyers or teachers. Mm -hmm. The goal is to make all kids smart and not have to remediate from class to class. So Mm -hmm. to me, that's what life is about, learning how to quit being remedial. And all of these experiences that you have been through, you mentioned this earlier, that the experiences taught you the lessons. And now you're using all of that to help other people. You're involved in a number of amazing projects, one of them being you're supporting the Goal Friends Prison Project. And uh, Darlene Whitehurst, who founded Goal Friends, was a recent podcast guest, and I hope people will listen to her story as well. Why did you want to get involved with this organization and this project specifically? For more than one reason. One, I have an older brother that he's, I don't know, 53 or 54, and at least 25 years of his life, he's been in prison on and off. And Mm -hmm. I see how institutionalized he is. It's hard for him to function in -hmm. this world. Mm -hmm. There's a whole completely different society. There's no rehabilitation going on in there. Most of those people go back, giving them the opportunities to try to learn some things about setting goals and having targets to hit. I'd love being a part of that. And, and two, just it's anything that I have the opportunity to be a part of that helps build women, I want to be a part of that. These women deserve every opportunity to have a second chance. And I think that if you put someone that just came out of prison for so many years on the streets without a blueprint or without a map, they're lost. Mm-hmm. It's easier to go back to a society where you understand things than it is to be in a world where you're just completely lost. My brother's still stuck in the 80s. He still thinks that we're little kids for the most part. Mm -hmm. I mean, not, oh, I'm little Crystal, but in the way he does things. Yeah. You know, I think leaving a legacy is more than just dribbling the ball and making a couple of hoops. I've told Darlene on more than one occasion, if the only thing I remember for is basketball, then I gravely underachieved in life. Wow. Well, besides the Girlfriends Project that you're a part of, you're also on the board of the foundation Code Red which is all about school safety for our kids. And that means whether that's mental health issues such as depression, PTSD, even youth suicide, and also from school shootings. Tell us about this program. It sounds quite extraordinary. Well, Code Red is something that I'm really, I'm I'm a teacher. That's what I have a degree in education. But Mike Riley, who is the the foundation founder and owner, he um, is actually still manages and has been Nelson Mandela's family's lawyer for a lot of years. But his grandkids was in the Highland Park shooting. Mm. Nothing was done right. And that one teacher did the right thing. Mm. Most teachers put their kids in the halls when they should have locked their doors. Only one teacher did that. His granddaughter was told to stand there and hold the curtains shut. So if the shooter came through and just shot those curtains up, she would have gotten shot. He bought this story. He did a, a documentary about it. And He sold it to Netflix for $7 million. I was in that documentary. I opened it up just about how schools is a safe place. But basically, Code Red has created an app that schools don't have surveillance systems. If a shooting goes off, the teachers have this app on their phone and the kids have it as well. They drop that phone in this little space in their mirror and it instantaneously becomes a surveillance system so cops can see where the shooter's at. They don't know anything going on in the school. 
So wow. they're blind. It's owned by a private institution, so it's hard for people to get it. Yeah, that's amazing. On the other side, we have all these kind of Selena Gomez's and Blake Shelton's and Reba McIntyre's. They're going to donate so much of their time a month to sit and have live chats with kids who want to come on and talk about certain things, bullying, those kind of things. The other arm of Code Red is in child trafficking, sex Mm -hmm. trafficking. We partnered with Catherine Ann Wilson, and we basically educate and train police departments and teachers on how to recognize the signs of that. Mm. I'm pretty proud of Code Red. I enjoy everything to do with that foundation. I can see why, and, and your passion certainly comes through. In your memoir, Finding Myself, you write that you spent your whole life searching for yourself. Have you finally found Crystal? Are you now living your best life? For me, I think the older I get, I find that we're constantly searching and evolving. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you reach that final destination, I'm happy for you. I think that you found it if you're just happy with everything. I'm just not that kind of person that's going to sit at a desk for 30 years at the same job. I just feel like I was put here to experience things. If I master something, I'm probably going to find something new to master. But I feel like I'm constantly evolving and growing and learning as much as I possibly can. I love that. What do you want readers to take away from your book? What do you want them to learn from reading your book? More than anything, I wrote that book to tell people to not feel sorry for me. I want people to learn from that book. I guess everybody has struggles. No one's life is just crystal clear and easy. And everybody thinks that money solves your problems. And more than not, the more money you have, the more problems (laughs) you have. That's literally the truth. If you have an unhappy life without money, you're going to have an even unhappier life with it (laughs) because it brings a lot of things that you don't even think about when you don't have money. I hope that they take away from it that I don't care what level of success people soar to, everybody goes through something. For me, they're badges of honor now. I survived them. I came out stronger. I beat them. Finding Myself, that's the name of the book, and it is inspiring. It's about facing obstacles, building strength, and achieving excellence. And we have a link to Crystal's book in our show notes, and I really invite you to check it out and read it. And I should mention to our listeners that you have written some beautiful poems at the end of the book. And I really, again, encourage people, get the book. You're going to find it incredibly uplifting and powerful. And if you want to connect with Crystal, she's on Instagram, folks. Her handle is C-R-O-B-B-E-R-3, C-R-O-B-B-E-R-3. And I know you'd love to hear from folks. Crystal, thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself with us today, as well as in your book. We are blessed to get to know you. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And thanks to all of you for listening today. May Crystal's sheer determination inspire you to remember that no matter life circumstances, you can rise above them and live your best life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out Fast Twitch Media dot space.